0: Welcome to the Break Your Bullshit Box podcast where excuses aren't tolerated and results are earned through authenticity, vulnerability, and a commitment to excellence. My name is Amber Furman, success architect, attorney, and NLP trainer. If you're ready to bitch slap the bully in your brain, overcome the bullshit that holds you back and design the life and success you've always wanted, then it's time for you to break your bullshit box and step into designing life and success on your terms. Welcome back to another episode of the break your bullshit box podcast. This week, I have the amazing Clint Callahan with me. Clint is a therapist, a recovering perfectionist. He is the author of Small Changes, Big Impact, and... He brings in such an insightful approach to being able to grow and create what we want in our life coming from the therapeutic background. We talk a lot in this episode about what holds us back. We talk about the line between therapy and coaching, when you might need one, when you might need the other, where the value might come from. We talk about the book and the power of making small changes. We talk about the power of other people and our perception of what they think of us. This really was a fantastic. Fantastic episode, and I'm so excited for you to check it out. Before you do, I have been waiting for the opportunity to be able to announce this, and it is finally here. The Break Your Bullshit Box Academy is a nine-week course that is designed to help you reach your full potential it is designed to help you understand the voice in your head the excuses that you either haven't listened to or don't know exist yet we're going to activate your success mindset and then we're going to give you the tools and the resources that you need to be able to achieve results in your life and your business we're going to talk about things like sales and goal setting and money management we're going to talk about how you Your mind works. Your conscious mind, your unconscious mind. Together, we're going to dig into so many fantastic things. You'll get to do it with a group of people that are dedicated to growth, just like you, and have access to Q and A calls with me, an online community, and everything that you need to be successful. If this sounds like something that you are ready for, I promise it will be worth your investment, both time and money but it's only open for a short period of time, head over to academy.successdevelopmentsolutions.com and get yourself in the academy so that we can start to create results in your life and business. With that being said, let's jump into this conversation with Clint. Clint, thank you so much for coming on the show with me today. I'm so excited for the conversation we're going to have.
1: Thank you for having me. I can't wait. Let's dive in.
0: Super stoked. So if the next 51-ish minutes or anything like are pre-recording, then the audience is in for a treat. And I'm so excited to be able to share that and share a little bit of what you bring to the table, which is so cool. So let's start um, by letting them get to know you a little bit. Random questions. What's something that somebody would never expect to hear you say about you or your life? What's something surprising about who you are?
1: That's a great question. I think of my life as a lot, as, as an open book because I don't – As a, it's interesting because as a therapist, my job is I'm supposed to stay at, just at a clinical distance from my clients. But most of the time, what I bring most to being a therapist, being a life coach, and just being – Is just being me because I spent most of my most of my life and most of my childhood, you know, being bullied and people pleasing and being an imposter. And it took me thirty eight years to figure out that I actually like myself and love myself and I actually want to like I like to be me. Being all those other people was so exhausting that being myself is the best thing that I ever did for me.
0: Oh my gosh. I love that so much and I can't wait to dig into it. I was watching a TikTok video today and the sound that was behind it, it was a friend of Mm -hmm. mine, so I was already engaged in it. And the sound that she had chosen to put to it was... I mean, appropriate, mm-hmm. but the real golden gem of it came at the end just was when I was about to scroll. And the the purpose of the video or the, the idea of it was mm-hmm. that we constantly think everybody's looking at us
1: mm-hmm. and
0: judging us. And the yep. reality is people are so worried about themselves that nine times out of 10, they mm-hmm. don't even know you exist, right? Uh,
1: not even so, nine times out of 10, it's 99.99999 repeating percent. Yeah. That
0: All
1: the time, I tell, like I tell my clients, look, when you leave the office, I don't think about you. It's yeah. not that it's not that I don't care, but it's that when you're here and you're in my face, I care. Yeah. But when you leave, I can't care because if I carry everybody with me throughout the course of my day and my week, you know, on average, I, I've in like let's see, for the twenty-three years I've done this, I've probably done therapy and been a therapist for. Between four to five thousand people, so yeah. I can't carry four to five thousand people with me everywhere I go, and yet simultaneously I do because, like we talked in the beginning, when I describe my profession, I'm a professional secret keeper and advice giver. Well, how can I give you know decent advice? Well, I've had to, to have given thousands and thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands of versions of of advice to people in order to. Help them see that. Yeah, I've seen pretty much everything. I've worked in everything from maximum security prisons to HIV AIDS, to the Castro district as a sex educator in San Francisco, to as a therapist, to uh, with emotionally disturbed kids with, I've worked with everything, addicts, you name it, I've done it. So there's nothing that anyone can really say to me that makes me go, oh, you're extra screwed up because (laughs) there's no such thing. If there's one thing I've learned that is true in life is that we're all making it up as we go along.
0: Ain't that the truth.
1: And that and on our best day, we are maybe, maybe when someone's sitting in front of us, 50% present. And that's if we really, really, really try to be present. We're maybe 50% there. Yeah. Being mindful, being in the moment is the hardest thing for human beings to do because our brain is constantly saying, yeah, but what about yesterday? Oh, but what about tomorrow? What about the next four minutes from now that we're having this conversation? We should be there right now. And it's like, no, I just want to be here. I don't need to be four minutes in the future. Can I just be here? No, you can't because you got to worry about what's coming next.
0: <laughs> it's interesting when you start to make that shift. Um, the the end of this sound, which was fantastic, was. Mm-hmm. Because it was it was focusing on the fact that because we're so worried about mm-hmm. other people, we're never yep. really ourselves, right? Yep. Because we are the us that we think the other people who aren't paying attention to us want us to be, right? Yes. And yes. at the end, he said something that just knocked me on my ass. Mm-hmm. And it said, if you're not you, then I can't know you and then I can't love you. And I thought.
1: Ooh, I'm stealing Ooh. that. I am if, stealing that. Isn't That's that like awesome.
0: powerful? If you are not going to be you, then I can never know yeah. you. And how many times do we have people that come to us as coaches and they say, I feel like my spouse, my my yeah. clients, my parents, mm-hmm. my whatever that other person yeah. is, I feel like they just don't get me. Well, yeah. when was the last time you let them know you?
1: Yeah. And it's like, most of the time they're like, I don't know how to do that because yeah. I, I don't know if I've ever been. Or they think because- they are. Yeah. And, and the thing about that is, is, if you think about it, that comes back to one of the main things that I do in my coaching and in my therapy practice is I talk to people about the story that you have about you. Because from the day you're born, you, you've been told a story about yourself. And then pieces of you get edited into the story. But mostly it's everybody else's story about you. Like my story starts at I was when I was born, I weighed one pound, 15 ounces. So technically I should be dead. I mm-hmm. should not be here. That during the four months I was in the NICU, 50, 60 other babies died. And so and the medical procedures that they did on me that were super experimental at the time, my body said, I don't like these, I don't want to do these. And I somehow survived. And yet I didn't only survive, but I thrived because most premature babies born back in you know 1976, you know, couldn't see, couldn't hear you know, had a lot of medical, other major medical issues, lung problems, walking, talking, all the different things. And the other thing I have is I got 50% hearing loss. That's about it. Mm -hmm. Everything else is fine. And that's the thing, right? So I was told from a very young age, God spared you for a reason. And God is a whole other topic, but that's (laughs) one of those things that I was told that from the very beginning that I was spared for a reason. So I'd better do something with this wonderful gift I was given called life. And for me, that's a huge burden to place on a child is that because somehow you happen to beat all the odds, you now need to go and do and be something amazing and miraculous. Luckily, I enjoy this work so much thanks to the way my life was that got me to this point. And so I can do and help lots of different people but a big piece of it was I'm kind of doing this in spite of that story that was told to me from the very beginning and that's the piece if we don't go back and we don't know our story then we can't recognize that we're also the editors we're also the writers we are the ones that design it but we often don't because mm-hmm. we're afraid to because we're afraid if i take the risk then and it fails then obviously it's all my fault it took me i was i was I worked for agencies for 19, no, 19, 16 years before I even started doing my private practice part-time, which is what I always wanted to do, which is why I got into this. And then it took me another three years doing it part-time to finally say, I am so done with working for other people that I'm going to do it myself. So I had a long conversation with my wife and I decided to go do it myself. And it's been the happiest I've ever been. And then about Seven, eight months ago, I decided now I want to start life coaching because I want to reach more people. I want to talk to more people. I'm licensed in two states, but I want to talk to the world because this is a global thing. We are all so burned out and so disconnected that that's what people don't understand about what burnout actually is. And that's what I'm trying to get. I'm trying to change the narrative around that because everybody always says, well, you're burned out. It's obviously because of the job. It's because Mm -hmm. of what you do, because of work. And the thing that people don't realize about burnout is work is the last symptom of being burned out. The first symptom is- But it's the first
0: one we care about.
1: It's the first one we care about because we got to make a living, right? Mm -hmm. But everything else- And it's where
0: we focus. Like We live in a society where that's the first question you're being asked. My (laughs) biggest pet peeve question is what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be me. Yeah. I want to be me. That's who I want to yeah. be when I grow up, right? Yeah. And we are constantly from the age of five talking to kids about yeah. how they're going to change rather than just mm-hmm. being them, right? Mm-hmm. And then yeah. we are shocked when we have these identity crises that come along with attaching our entire self-worth and identity to our profession. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And why are we shocked when we've been Planting that seed since people were in kindergarten. Mm-hmm. So, for- if you
1: don't know what you want to do and you don't know who you want to be, then obviously you're going to fail at life.
0: And of I'm like, course, really?
1: when I was 18, I didn't know what I wanted to be. I had an idea that I wanted to help. I still people. don't know what I want to be. I'm still working on it, too. I mean, I know I like helping people and that's great. And I know that the life coaching thing is interesting and that's cool. And maybe I want to do some public speaking. I wrote a book because I was because I was like, you know, I kind of I got words to say I might as well stick them on a page. I'm going to go do that. And it's just these kind of things where you don't know until you just start to do. That's life. Life is doing. Life isn't thinking.
0: It's doing. This reminds me so much of one of my favorite things to blow people's minds with when Ooh, I'm on stage is everybody uses the jack of all trades quote to hold themselves mm-hmm. back. Yes. The um, don't be a jack of all trades, right? A jack yep. of all mm-hmm. trades is a master of none.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Do you know how that quote is actually finished?
1: No. How does that actually finished?
0: It is fit so it, it was cut off to serve the mm-hmm. purpose that it was meant to purpose, which okay. is focus on um very, very one thing, because a master mm-hmm. of or a jack of all trades is a master of none.
1: Mm-hmm. But it
0: finishes saying, but oftentimes better than a master of one. Ooh. And so the full saying is a jack of all trades is a master of none, but oftentimes better than a master of one. And I like it that was cut off because it didn't fit the narrative of focus on this one thing that you wanna do, right? Well,
1: and, and that happened because of the, what happened in the, it, when the school system was designed, which was designed to put you into a specific slot so that you could fill a purpose in a factory, which is the same Correct. system you're still using, that your job is to be special And that. Now it's all about being specialist. And I don't like being a specialist. I've never been a specialist. I'm, I'm a generalist. I love it. I love, mm-hmm. I if I could, I'd be a mechanical engineer, a social worker, a geneticist, and I'd probably be a chemist. I love all the different <laughs> if things. I didn't hate
0: chemistry. If I didn't hate chemistry, science, and math, I would probably be with you on all of those things. <laughs> um, I want to dig in here in just a minute because I know that this is a conversation that a lot of people in this industry and also people outside of the industry don't mm-hmm. understand. And that is the therapist side and the life coaching side and how you keep them separate this is fascinating to me because i'm nlp trained i um work. So I train NLP trainings here in Vegas. Mm-hmm. I do timeline technique trainings with people. And I refuse to call it therapy, even though the mm-hmm. name of it is timeline therapy. I refuse yeah. to call it therapy because yeah. I have a respect for what therapy actually is. And I have zero yes. interest in doing it, right? <laughs> um, I'm also an attorney. And I know what mm-hmm. happens when you say things that aren't actually the things that you say, yeah. right? Okay. Um I believe at the my core of cores, that there is a place in the world for therapy and there is a place mm-hmm. in the world for coaching. And I yep. also believe that they're entirely different. Mm-hmm. What how are what are the similarities to you and what are the differences?
1: Sure. So for me, therapy really the major difference is as a therapist, my job is to diagnose and treat. And that's that's the main difference. Is my job is to talk to you, figure out what exact symptoms are you having in this moment where they come from and basically i take it from a childhood forward perspective to get you to unwind all the story in your brain to then be able to move forward and then potentially talk about medication and all these different things and so that's the main difference as a coach no i don't diagnose but i do still treat that's the big difference because as a coach my job is to help you where you are to get where you want to go as a therapist my job is to help you unwind where you were to help you become present so you can get where you want to go and yeah. that's the thing cuz one of my favorite things to use in therapy is a lot of just really helping people to focus on the present because that's the thing is Our brain constantly wants us to look at the past because the past is this catalog catalog in our brain that says, this is the stuff that has happened. This is the stuff that is always gonna happen. So we have to keep sticking to what's in the catalog, which is why when we try and learn something new, we're so exhausted because it's new because we're creating a new file system for what's going on next. And so, by doing that, that's the, that's the issue. Most of us get stuck in the past because we don't want to let go of that stuff and try something new. Because of the wonderful thing of failure, we're all afraid of failing. And the thing about thing and the thing about that is, I am more. I can't say I'm more or less grateful, but I, in some ways, I am more grateful for the times that I've failed than I've succeeded. Because failure leaves the, literally leaves a scar in your brain biologically of a traumatic event, it leaves a little scar in your brain that says, Hey, don't ever do that again. Mm-hmm. Just like a scar on your body. When you trip and fall and skin your knee and do that kind of stuff, your mirror neurons start firing. When I even say that because your knee, cause you're like, Oh, I remember when I've done that. Everyone, I got this really bad one that one time. And I thought my kneecap was going to come out. It was crazy. You know, everyone has those kind of stories and that's the piece, mm-hmm. right? Is As we continue to move through these things, it's recognizing that taking a step back, taking a breath, recognizing where we were and who we were, but yet also who we are and where we want to go is the most important thing to do. And it's, and I love coaching. That's one of the reasons why I'm a therapist and I want to get into coaching because I can use all the skills I have as a therapist to help move people through coaching fast because I have lots of skills but at the same time I also have to be super careful to not mm-hmm. violate my boundary of that because I have to when I do therapy I have to do therapy in only Colorado and California where I'm licensed mm-hmm. because that's what they say life coaching I can don't go global but I have to be very careful about that and so yeah. but also for me also I am I have legal obligations as a therapist that I have to meet but as a coach There aren't many legal obligations. There's human obligations and things that I would like to, that I would think I would do. Like if I saw someone in pain as a coach where they were thinking about harming themselves, then I'm, as a therapist, I'm legally obligated no matter where you are in the world to try Mm -hmm. to get services to you. But as a coach, I don't have that, but I kind of do because I'm still a human.
0: Yeah. It's interesting because I I say this about myself all the time too, when I started Mm -hmm. coaching, Um, about four years ago, and people would ask me, what makes you different? And my answer was, I run my coaching business like I run my law firm right? Mm -hmm. Because very Mm -hmm. similar to you, we have these ethical rules and guidance that just don't exist in the coaching industry. And so things like confidentiality, like there's Mm -hmm. no duty of confidentiality in coaching. Technically, somebody could come say something to me and I could go use that in whatever way that I want. Now, Mm -hmm. that'd make me a shitty human being and I probably wouldn't have any (laughs) clients, but that's not the point. Nobody's going to take my license away. As an attorney, I can't do that. And I've always said that from confidentiality to, you know, any ethics, those -hmm. have been ingrained in me as an attorney for the last 15 years. And so when I started my coaching practice, it was just easy to transfer Mm -hmm. those over. Yeah. I've worked with a lot of people from Mm -hmm. the therapy world that have made the shift to coaching. Mm-hmm. And um they all say things very similar to what you just said about yeah. wanting to reach more people, being frustrated mm-hmm. by mm-hmm. the geographical limitations. Mm-hmm. We have a lot well, of the
1: one-on-one model is, is hard. It, it's, I've done it the group, rough. I've done the group coaching model and the group coaching model is it. it I've done the group therapy model where, you know, that's, and that's, has its own inherent stuff but that's still also geographical as well mm-hmm. right and it's with the advent of zoom one of the best things i think happened was you know one of the good things that came out of covid which is weird to say is that they There's pushed through all this, that they pushed through all this legislation that allows me as a therapist now to do zoom to do zoom based calls in whatever place i'm licensed where mm-hmm. i can do therapy from here and in Colorado and do stuff in California, cause I'm licensed. I can do therapy now with people in rural and remote areas of Colorado that otherwise wouldn't have access to services because they, they, they had no way to get it. Cause they didn't want to drive six hours or four hours or two hours to get to somebody. Now they can just do it this way. And I think it's one of the best things that happened is that, but also at the same time, it's like, well, how is it that I can do that here? But I can't do it in any other state or any other place on the planet. Is it because that my brain gets stupider the further away it gets projected through? No, through it's TVs because and your stuff? money no. gets
0: sent somewhere else instead yes. of your licensing fees to the state. Yes. Let's be real. Exactly. Yes, it's all about um, money. It really is, unfortunately. Um, I'm curious to know: has there ever been a situation as a therapist mm-hmm. where, or as a coach, either or? Where you've known that there's something that you could do, and then mm-hmm. you felt like you can't because of mm-hmm. the limitations on it. Like obvious, are there things that you know as a therapist that you don't feel comfortable using as a coach, or do you just rename it and make it ethical? Do you understand my question?
1: Yes. yeah. it's it's do I feel like I have to be in one box or the other? Yes or do I have a way to be in both boxes simultaneously, right. And really, and, you know, yeah, that's I mean, I'm a generalist when it comes to being a therapist. I've been trained to do to basically work on pretty much every on anything because I've worked with everything. So I've I've literally got my fingers in pretty much every kind of mental health disorder people could possibly have. And so by having that experience, I bring the experience and I bring the wisdom. But I don't. But then only thing I have to do is I have to make sure I can't say you are this Right. I can think it and maybe I can pull you aside privately and say, Hey, I think what you're trying to get out of coaching is not coaching. I think you would be better served by a therapist. So Mm -hmm. I'd much rather have you go to therapy. I here's a couple of recommendations, but I think you should do that. If you want to do this in conjunction with therapy, I'm totally good with that, but I could not be your therapist because either maybe I'm not in the state or because it would be a conflict. And so it's just really having to be. You know, having that very firm boundary and know that, and that's the thing is, my favorite thing about boundaries is that people get them wrong all the time,
0: all day. You know,
1: so we, so a, a boundary isn't that I'm telling you what you can't do. No, it's not telling. You're not saying you can't do that. You're saying I won't tolerate this. It's all about mm-hmm. you owning and saying I don't want that in my life. And it's one of the most frustrating things with me is trying to teach people how to just have better boundaries, because if we could all just have better boundaries, oh my goodness, the amount of suffering we would save ourselves is just exponential.
0: (laughs) I mean, yes, you're right. But Clint, what are we going to do when we set our boundaries and then we our people pleaser kicks in, and mm-hmm. then we can't enforce our boundaries. And so we're just yeah. going to let it go. And then we're going to let it go so far that then we're just going to start blaming the other person. And then we're going to get passive aggressive. And then we're going to start yelling yeah. at them. And then we're not going to understand why everybody blew up. How boring would life be if we all just figured out how to own our own boundaries?
1: I know. Well, here's the thing about life. Life won't let it be boring.
0: <laughs> it, it's so true. My mom you, and I were talking uh, about-
1: like, it's been- I've now, I've now been a recovering people pleaser, as I like to call myself, since I was about 38. So it's almost been a decade now that I've been a recovering people pleaser. And I can tell you, life is actually more interesting than it was because now bringing me to the party makes it extra fun. Because now I can say and do and be in a way that before I would be so afraid to do. That it wouldn't have been the same. It changes the dynamic when you show up as you. Does. And that's the most important thing. That if everybody is making it up as they go along, then guess what that means? It's all made up.
0: It's, and if all, it's all made, made
1: up. up. If it's all made up, then nothing matters. But at the same time, everything matters at the same time because this is all we know. And it just makes you go, okay, my brain hurts thinking about that. So I don't want to do that. Because, ow, because if everything matters and nothing matters, then what does that mean? It means pretty much just go be and live your life. One of the things I love telling people when I talk to them is I'm like, look, if there's one thing I've learned about people is this we are great at being human doings, but we are mm. really, really bad at being human beings. Ain't we can do truth. until the day is over and then keep doing as we sleep, okay. but just being and having, and feeling, and enjoying a second, a moment, a part of time, we feel like we're being lazy or we're slacking off. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm trying to take care of myself because I'm feeling exhausted, so I'm going to go take a quick nap after this. Well... You know, you probably shouldn't do that because, you know, that just leads to laziness. And if you, you don't want to be lazy because if you're lazy, then you're not producing. And if you're not producing, then you're not consuming. And if you're not consuming well, then you're just a bad American. Uh, I mean, uh. <laughs>
0: and part of the reason you're exhausted is because that whole conversation just went on in your head while you were trying to make that decision. Yes. I tell 14 different
1: clients, times, probably in six yes. languages.
0: <laughs> I tell my clients all the time I said the reason that you're tired is you're too busy you're too busy arguing with yourself instead of being yourself, right? Yep. You're too yes. busy. Like I remember. So I love the answer that you gave as far as the difference for from therapy and coaching for you. Mm-hmm. I um went through it from a different perspective because mm-hmm. you know, the person on the other side is always always sees it differently because okay. we're Nobody goes to a therapist and they're like, "I'm having a fantastic day today." I just thought I'd talk. My in and life say is great, hi. right? Like, that's not why someone decides to call a therapist, and it yeah, was not the true. reason that I decided that to call true. one either. So when I when I had my first interaction with therapy, I had been hyperventilating for four days and refusing to eat Ooh. and um, trying to convince myself to Still breathe. A full blown panic anxiety all attack all day, combo? panic and anxiety mm. attack, Ooh. and I remember like I would talk to people and they'd be like Amber just breathe and I'm like if one more person tells me to just breathe I am going to pump them (laughs) like I'm telling you that's what I can't do right and for me and I'm telling
1: you yes you can yes
0: you can um (laughs) I think that part of this is the layers of my growth Mm -hmm. and what um what process or or what position i found the resources in but for yep. me therapy taught me how to how to pattern interrupt the panic attacks but yep. it never taught me why I was getting them in the first place. And so oh. it was-
1: And then you know, that means that's your, that's a bad, that's a, that's a, that's a bad on your therapist.
0: Yeah, My it was. My favorite thing to
1: teach people is, this is the biological reason why your body is saying, a tiger is eating me right now.
0: Yeah. I mean, it was more than that though. It was the yeah. deeper side of understanding that they didn't have to happen, right? Like we never yeah. had the conversation mm-hmm. that they didn't have to happen. It was like, yeah. when- your panic attacks happen, then do this to help. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, that's great. But how do we like do this to help before I start panicking and, you know, can't breathe? Um, Because anybody who's had even a partial panic attack, they're not fun. Like they Mm -hmm. are not fun at all. Mm -hmm. Um, And then when I got to the point that I could breathe and I could function Mm -hmm. and I started growing my business, Mm -hmm. I found NLP actually through a sales training. And I was like, Hmm. come teach me. I I didn't know how to run a business. And I was like, I want to learn how to communicate more. I want to learn how to have better sales. Mm -hmm. And so I'm in this eight-day training. And I'm like, I'm going to increase my business. And all of a Mm -hmm. sudden, I'm like, huh, I haven't had a panic attack for like a week and a half. Right? Why is that? And why is this working? And you're starting to realize the way it's all put together. And this is why I love it when... Like I run into two different types of therapists. I Mm -hmm. run into the type of therapists that are like, this is my box and this is where Mm -hmm. I live and this is where I'm going to stay and everything else is bullshit. Mm -hmm. And then the type of therapists that are like, the more that I know, the more that I learn, the more that I'm willing to consider, the better Mm -hmm. I can help my clients, the better I can help myself. And when I meet those people, they are my people. Um, I can tell you're one of them because the reality is whether you call yourself a therapist, whether you call yourself an attorney, whether you call yourself a coach, whatever it is, Mm -hmm. we are only in this spot because we want to see other people succeed. That's it. And it doesn't matter how we get there.
1: And and that's an interesting thing, right? Because one of the, like one of the main questions that I was asked when I started building out, like deciding to do this thing, I worked with a coach to start building out my, life coaching practice and all this stuff. And they said, who are you? And I'm like, that's a, I love that question. Who am I? What, why do I want to do this? I mean, I can I can do, be a therapist just fine. I can start groups at night. I can do all these different things. Why do I want to do this? And it really comes down to, for me, it came from that I am a person that doesn't like to see other people suffer because I've been through enough suffering in my life. And if there's any way that I can alleviate that, for even an an extra minute out of the day where you can stop and not hurt. That's what I want to do. And if there's any way that I can do that, and if there's any way I can make that happen, then I will. Because that's who I am at my core. Because I've been through suffering. I've been through so much different things that people are like, so you know, tell me your story. Okay, well, I was born like this, and this happened. And then these things happened here. And then my mom died. And then this happened here. And then these things happened over there. And they're like, how are you still alive? And I'm like, I don't know what else. I don't know how to answer that question. Because to me, it's just my life. I don't know Mm -hmm. why it's amazing or spectacular that I survived all this time. But it's Nor
0: like, is that our problem to figure out, right? No, like, it's not. When, if, if Use you it. like, and that's the, one of the biggest things, right? We had, mm-hmm. I have a friend of mine that just came through my trainings that suffered yep. from severe PTSD Oof. and um, it came from a helicopter crash that she should have been a part of and wasn't a part of and the survivor's guilt that came along with that survivor's guilt is and it's huge and the reason that that exists is like what you said earlier in this podcast about the fact that our brain wants to focus on the past Mm -hmm. so then instead of saying i've got this life and i get to do all these things with it our brain is sitting there saying well but why was I here and Mm -hmm. I could have been there and they should Mm -hmm. still be here and should have and could have and would have. And then a year and two years and four years and 10 years goes by. And we're still trying to figure out why in that one moment, Mm -hmm. a decision was made by whoever you believe made it. It doesn't Mm -hmm. matter. And you've got 10 years of your life that's gone. And that experience could be the thing that teaches us that life is short and we get to live in the moment. And instead it's the experience that teaches us how to say life is short and then overanalyze everything. Um, And so I, I love the focus that you have on saying, just be here and be now and focus on the little things and do something. So with that being said, I want to lead straight into your small changes, big impact book that was just released. So tell me what the foundation of that was for and what people should expect to be able to get out of it.
1: Sure. Well, I was burned out. So I'll do a quick synopsis of how I got to that. So basically what happened is, so I was a therapist. I was working as a therapist. I was working for an insurance, for insurance companies as a therapist. Um, on the inside of an insurance company. If you want to talk about being a therapist in a weird position, working in the inside of an insurance company as a therapist is really, really strange. That's a whole different topic. But I was going through those different things, and then my mom got sick with an autoimmune disorder called dermatomyositis, which there was no cure for. There was no research on. It was just, yeah, about 5,000 people on the planet have this at any given time, and there's nothing we can do. You just got to learn to live with the pain. And basically, her all of her joints and connective tissue was liquefying from the inside. So she went from being a healthy, happy, active, you know, 47-year-old woman to basically having the body of an 80, 90-year-old full arthritis in the space of about a year and a half. And so we sent her to a pain, a pain clinic to learn how to live with the pain and all this stuff. And I went there, and I spent a week with her. And during that week, she told me, I'm going to kill myself because I can't do this anymore. At that time, I was also working in a locked psychiatric hospital as a therapist with people that were acutely suicidal. So I knew exactly that when she said it, she meant it. So I went and told her doctors, told her nurses, told everybody, hey, this is my degree. This is what I do for a living. This is what my mom told me. You need to do something because she's going to do it. No, no, everything's gonna be fine. She just has to complete our program. As long as she does the stuff in the box, she'll be great. It'll be okay. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. And then I then I had to go back home and go to work again. And then she Mm. killed herself two weeks later, exactly the way she said. And so, in that moment, basically, this system that I've been working my whole life in, that I've been trying to do this completely failed me so it broke me so i burned out major grief major depression i quit doing therapy i became a real estate agent and loan officer i started a company where i was helping nonprofits uh, for profits create nonprofits in their in their business and all that stuff to take some of their money and do some good with it so i was still doing therapy social work helping people stuff even in the midst of all this other stuff And so I did that for about four years and then everything fell apart. 2008 happened. And so I lost all my real estate, lost everything I did, lost my job, lost my company. And my wife and I had to move back in with her parents for two and a half years with our brand new baby boy. Mm. So basically lost everything. And so then I had to go back and do what I knew I could do, which is take my license and go back and work again inside of an insurance company. And I was just a shell of myself. I was a a robot version of me. I could do the basics to be there, but I wasn't there. I was so burned out. And that's when I really got to the point where I had to go back to all the stuff I learned in graduate school, and when I was in graduate school, I took a comparative religion class, and I started doing Buddhism. And I started doing Buddhism. I I didn't practice for decades, but I got to do that, and I did. I did it for probably about four or five years, and so I learned a lot about it. And so I decided, okay, is this how I want to be as mm. a husband, as a as a new father, as you know, how am I going to get out of this? So I had to figure out what am I going to do? And if anyone's been burned out, you know, when you're burned out, the thought of doing one more thing is the absolute last thing that you want to do. Because for you, getting out of bed is your supreme feat of the day. And then you still have other stuff you have to do. Hopefully, if you're lucky,
0: you can do it on autopilot. And that's basically what my life had become. You know... I resonate with that so much. And I know that so many of the people that are listening are going to what it reminds me of is what led to my breakdown, which is very similar and different and entirely different at the same time. Um, I where it's similar is that I had lived in this world that was supposed to operate in certain ways. Mm -hmm. And in my mind, I had taken everything that I had experienced as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, my first experience was suicide when I was seven, all mm-hmm. the way up to my dad's death when I was 18 and yep. the 10 funerals I went to in between there. And I'd put them all mm-hmm. in this happily decorated box that just lived over here that never yep. opened. And I never dealt mm-hmm. with, and yep. I created a reality where If I created enough success, if I made enough Mm -hmm. money, if I achieved the highest level that I could in a profession that was worthy, then Mm -hmm. the box was going to get taken away by these magic Cinderella Mm -hmm. fairies and I was never going (laughs) to have to deal with it. Right. And the panic attacks came because the moment that I hit that illusion, Mm -hmm. and nothing changed and I was still empty and it still hurt Mm -hmm. I was like what the fuck is this life I'm living like this is Mm -hmm. not the way it was supposed to go this this is supposed to be gone
1: I was supposed to have all the stuff I wanted which meant this was gone that was the only thing I really wanted to have and it's here yeah and it's worse now
0: exactly I expected (laughs) like a drum line and procession Mm -hmm. and like somebody telling me they were taking all my bullshit away. Yeah. And instead I, I tell people, and this is why I tell them that Mm -hmm. the most dangerous thing we can do as human beings is tie our self-worth and our fulfillment to an external result, because one of two things happens. You either hit it and then your world shatters because nothing changes, or Mm -hmm. you spend your entire life chasing it and you never connect with anybody along the process. I relate to what you said in so many ways because that moment that you realized that the profession that you were living in had failed you Mm -hmm. is the same moment that I realized that the life that I had built wasn't going to create the outcome that it was supposed to. And both of those just lead to this moment where you say, well, if I didn't know that and yeah. if that was wrong and if I if I misjudged that so much, yeah. then what do I know and where do exactly. I go and how do I wake and, up and how do I breathe?
1: And that's exactly what I had to go back to. That's why I went back to, I mean, it was the ra- most random thing. So I would. So what began, what first pulled me out of it was we went, I went back and spent the first Christmas after my mom's death. And we went through, we we're going through the, uh, the the bookcase and stuff that we had there. And there was this book that was there because my mom was very Christian. And so she bought me a book basically called, you know, uh, Buddha Buddha and Christ's teachings, how they how they fit together. Oh,
0: interesting. You know,
1: it was a really fascinating book. If I can actually, I don't know if that's the actual title, but I remember but that's the gist of the book. And I found that book again. And so I brought it back because it had a handwritten note in it from her. So I brought it back with me. I just put it on a shelf somewhere and didn't think about it. And then about, then after everything fell apart and we had to, we had to short sell our house and move all of our stuff and do all the things. I was going through the library and I found that book and I'm like, I'm going to hold on to this. I'm going to probably want to read this. I think I'm going to need this. For some reason, I was thinking that way. And then I started reading that again. And I was like, oh, I need to meditate again. And I'm like, but I don't have time. I'm, I have, I have a, I have a three-month-old. I don't have time to do 30 minutes of meditation. I can't do that. I I can barely find three minutes for myself. And I'm like, well, what if I just start meditating for three minutes and then journaling for two minutes to see what comes out of my brain? And that began my process. That's what my 15-minute-a-day process is. is. It begins with first becoming mindful for just five minutes a day, three times a day. First, just do that. So that's, I still do this today. I spend three minutes in the morning meditating. I pick a specific thought or feeling or thing that's been going on in my brain and I just sit and I just think about it. But but wait a minute, isn't meditation supposed to be that your brain is empty? No. And the reason is because telling your brain to shut up is like asking (laughs) the wind not to blow. It doesn't happen. There's always going to be chatter. There's always going to, but it's recognizing that that's just what it is. It's just chatter. And so you sit there and you meditate for three minutes and then you write down, okay, what keeps coming up? Because in that three minutes, two, three things will come up two, three, four, five times. And then you write those things out and go, okay, how can I work on these today? And then I check in at noon and then I check in before bed. And that's how I run my day. And by doing that, it keeps me here. It keeps me grounded. It keeps me present. And that is the beginning of what this 15 minutes a day is is it's about being present being here allows you then to own stuff because the things that I tell everybody is is if you don't own your shit you can't fix your shit so how do you own your shit well the first thing you gotta do is recognize I got some shit it's your shit and and most of us are like you know what I don't want to own that well too bad you already do
0: (laughs) I love that description. What you may or may not know is that my newly released book is called Break Your Bullshit Box. I love it. And it's and it's for that whole thing, right? Like yeah. the idea is that we have so many bullshit excuses that mm-hmm. we believe yeah. all the time. And they don't sound like excuses. They sound no. like um I'm not good at selling, it, don't you know. Don't you know how legitimate
1: this stuff is? I can wax on about the legitimacy of why I didn't do the things I did.
0: Exactly.
1: Because... You know, I, I didn't want to disrupt my family. I didn't want to have a source of income that fluctuated. I wanted to make sure that we had benefits. My kids need braces; uh, they got to go to school. Uh, we may have car bills. There's a bill. I've never that we been creative.
0: Ourselves. I'm mm-hmm. not a good salesperson. Nobody yeah. connects with me. All the things, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And to your point, until we are willing to allow that that box full of excuses exists, mm-hmm. we can't deal with it so I love that approach so much. I feel like you and I could talk for hours, and I'm sure that this will not be the last time that we connected if,
1: No, no, let's not let this be the last time. No, this will not be the last time. Let's keep going. I know you got a hard stop. I'm kidding. The
0: universe (laughs) needs this energy, right? Like I absolutely love um, everything about what you're doing. I love the name of your book. I love the concept Mm -hmm. of your book, your membership. I love all of the things that you're doing. So if anybody is listening to this and going, man, I feel seen and heard for the first time. And I Mm -hmm. want to continue this conversation where can they reach out to you?
1: Sure, uh, you can find me on the ever-popular LinkedIn, and you can also just look up uh, Clint Callahan or Small Changes, Big Impact, and you can find me there. Uh, you can also find me on Instagram and Facebook at Small Big Impact. Dot the number four and then the uh, letter U, and okay. then uh, we can continue the conversation there. Um, also, I think on some of my posts, I gave people my phone number because I was crazy that day. So you can probably also, if you find those posts, you can text me too because they're there uh, as well.
0: Good but luck. That's,
1: that's the thing is, I want I want people to know that you don't have to suffer your own bullshit anymore, for lack of a better term. Because it took me up until you know seven years ago to finally pull my head out of my own butt and go, oh. I am capable and able to do the things that I want to do because of my life experiences, because of who I am, because of how I am and what I want to do and how I want to be. I never thought I was going to write a book, but I started, I got, I basically got bored one night and said, I'm going to jot some stuff down. And then before I knew I it, I wrote a book. And all of a sudden you have like, a book. And it's like, oh, okay. Well, I haven't had have my wife edit it because I suck at grammar. So I let her do it. And she's also a therapist. So I was lucky. <laughs> I married someone like that. Grammar queen and therapist. So she helped me run through and go, okay, now this makes sense. Before it was just you rambling like you usually do. <laughs> yes, yes.
0: I mean, it does make sense. Clint, it's been absolutely amazing to talk with you. I'm looking forward to the further relationship we get to build. I'm looking forward to watching you crush it with your book sales and being able to transform the world together with a joint mission. So thank that you so great. much for coming on.
1: Thanks for having me.